All right. Good morning, Mendham Hills. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it is, <clears throat> wow. Whew. It's great to be with you today because I'm excited to continue the series that we're in that takes a look at a modern problem, and we're looking to find an ancient answer. Is it solutions? Is it answers? It's according to graphic answers. Okay, so part of my role here, if you're not aware, is I am the youth pastor and I get to work with the student ministry. And my job is, amongst many other things, to help guide, to teach, and to exemplify to the best of my ability what following Jesus and growing in our faith looks like to high school students and middle school students. One of the ways that we do that is we hold youth group on Sunday nights during the school year. And we go through different teaching series each month, similar to how Pastor John does it. And so when I come up with a series, I get inspired in a lot of different ways, all of which through a lot of praying and by asking a volunteer in the back, Mrs. Muchmore, is this a good idea? Sometimes she's like, no, yes, you'll be great. Thank you, Mama. Uh, and sometimes it's by a conversation like that. Sometimes it's by a felt need that I hear students talking about. And other times it's I try to stay current and up to date on what is relative with culture so that I can be relevant and helpful to our students with what they're facing. And in doing so, last spring I found some popular mantras and sayings and I found them on social media, on signs on the way to and from work, and literally out of people's mouths, they sounded really good, quite catchy, and very misleading. And I felt they had the potential to confuse us as people, and especially my students. And at the time, that was my modern problem. And I felt like the students were susceptible to be confused by these sayings. So I created a series called Duped. And this was the graphic that we came up with where we looked at some of those mantras and sayings like good vibes only, speak your truth, love is love, follow your heart and live your truth. You've heard those, I'm assuming. If you haven't, get up to date with culture, come on. Um, <laughs> why do I tell you that, though? Like, who cares? I tell you that because, well, when I heard what our summer series was going to be and how the book of Proverbs lays out two paths that we can take, one of wisdom or one of foolishness, my youth group series came back to, to mind because fools are easily duped. Fools are easily swayed into believing that something is true when it's not. And by the way, it's not a student problem. We are susceptible to being duped. So a couple weeks ago, Pete spoke about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, how we have the propensity to be our own gods, that maybe the truth lies within me. Last week, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that sermon. It was really good. Pastor John talked about three out of five, oh yay, three out of five kinds of fools that we can be that the Proverbs talks about. And those really, really stood out to me, especially the stubborn fool and the sensual fool. For the stubborn fool, it's their way or the highway. They don't like the truth. 
They are so certain of themselves. And the sensual fool likes to follow what feels right. And Pastor John said something, and I wrote it down, quote, every fool has this in common. They hate correction. They don't want to change. And they don't want the truth, end quote. That today is the modern problem I would like to talk about. Fools can trick themselves into thinking that they're right, that their truth is the truth. Hmm. There's an ancient proverb that speaks right to that. This ancient proverb, oh man, it's really simple. It's so profound to me, and that's what's been resonating with me, so I want to share that with you. Proverbs 14, starting in verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good rewarded for theirs. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. We as human beings tend to think that our way is the way. That our truth is the truth. And if we believe that, then I think Pastor John was right on last week. We might be fools, and we might be getting duped. I don't know about you, I've been duped a lot in my life. Just come hang out with me, and you'll see. One time, Olivia and I, we went hiking. Olivia's brother planned to propose to his girlfriend, and on top of this mountain. So he asked us, hey, can you guys go early? Uh, so that you can capture the moment, you know, take a video, take pictures. And we were like, yeah, we'd love to. So we set out three hours, okay, keep that in mind. Three hours early to get us there with plenty of time to the top of this peak. And then there comes a point in the trail where things start to look less like a trail. Uh, but, you know, there was this group in front of us, so I leading the way. Come on, Liv, I thought nothing of it. See, they're going that way too, this is right. And then I start to think, maybe... We're not going the right way. And Olivia suggests, we're not going the right way. Let's turn back. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. I think we should keep going forward. But then I made up my mind. Nope, this is the right way. Let's go. And Olivia's like, mm, this isn't the right way. And I'm like, no, no, no. Let's keep going. I'm stubborn. And I go, this is right. It feels right. Like, let's just keep following. Like, there's still that group in front of us. Like, they're here too, so obviously, let's go. And eventually we get to this, <laughs> I tell this story and I replay it in my mind, and it's just so dumb. <laughs> of how, um, what I, I'll show you in a picture in a second. Eventually we, we get to this random hill, and it just shoots straight up. And if you've been hiking, uh, there's no markers at this point. There's really no, like, you know, dirt trail. There's just pine needles everywhere. It's not a good sign. And somehow I convinced Olivia, let's keep going. And so we go up, we go over. <laughs> and at this point, you know, everyone else turned around. At this point, they're like, yeah, this is right. But Mike, being the genius, he's like, no, let's go. Like, I'm like, this has got to be the way. And it's just me and Olivia, and I'm literally crawling up this hill where we started walking and then it turned into, yeah, not a good combo. And then we come to this cliff <laughs> and I literally think, look, there's a path. Let's cross that and keep going. Let's show the picture. Yep, there, oh, can we go to the other one, Maggie? Do you have the other one? Yeah, that one. You see the pine needles there? That's the cliff we shimmied across. 
And then I was like, I got to the other side, right? I took the picture, and then I said, hey, hon, we got to shimmy back because this isn't the right way. She goes, you think? And we shimmy. <laughs> Gosh, man. So uh, we keep going because at this point we're like, well, we definitely can't go back, so I, I guess we'll keep going. So we keep going, hopefully, like, we got to make it for my brother-in-law. <laughs> and then we get completely lost in the woods. I mean, completely lost in the middle of the woods. And we start to get a little scared. I get, I get scared. At this point, I'm like, I totally led us to the middle of the woods. Like, people die from being out here. And so I get scared, and so I start shouting, Hello! Hello! Like, nothing. And I'm like, oh, no. So thankfully, Olivia, she pulls out her one-bar cell phone status, right? And she finds the compass and the map of where we are, current location, and pulls up the map online of that mountain. She goes, we gotta go this way. And so I'm like, okay, right? <laughs> and we go. And she pioneers, she pioneers us back to the path and finally, you know, land, we made it. And then we're like, oh man, let's just go to the peak. We probably blew it and missed it. So we, you know, we run up. We're literally like 50 yards from the peak. That's how like roundabout way we went. And then they're not up there. So we're like, well, let's start setting up the pictures. And so we rush. And literally five minutes later, there comes my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Three hours to five minutes, okay? That's how much of a head start we lost. Whose fault was that? Don't be nice to me. Whose fault was that? Thank you. It was mine. But I thought I was going the right way. There's a way that seemed right to me. I was so sure of it. I was convinced I was right. In fact, I just had this feeling that I was right. This is the right path. Even though all the evidence, I mean all of the evidence, pointed to Olivia being right. I just wanted to be right. And I was blind to how wrong I was. I was duped. I was a fool. There's a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. And for that instance, that day, I literally almost led us to our death. And so I think there's a big battle that you're all facing. I'm facing too. I've seen it all over the place. It's a battle for truth. You hear people say, live your truth. It's so freeing when you do. And if it's true for you, it's true. No one can tell you it's not true because it's your truth. I'm here to tell you today that that's a lie. Living by the mantra, live your truth, or it's my truth. That is duping you. Don't be duped by that. Well, what's truth? Well, according to the Urban Dictionary, I know, great resource, but it's the word of the people. The word, the phrase, my truth. Remember, I come from a student perspective, so let's, what, my truth. I hear people say that all the time. Well, that's my truth. So, all right, Urban Dictionary, look it up. Here's what it means. People, a non-negotiable personal opinion. The phrase my truth is a non-negotiable personal opinion. People can contradict your opinion, but not your truth. For instance, ready? I'm gonna split the room, hopefully on my side. Vanilla ice cream is superior to chocolate ice cream. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And some of you are like, finally, someone's with me. And my wife would be like, boo, get off the stage. It's, because I know, like chocolate ice cream, hmm. But 
if I were to say, well, no, that's, you can't argue with me, that's my truth. All of a sudden, I shut down the argument. You can't argue with me because it's my truth. Like, what? That's just an opinion. People can contradict your opinion, but not my truth. And that's what's scary, as I've heard people use this phrase, my truth, behind their feelings. We use it behind our opinions, and we can't argue it. Doesn't that ring a bell? The qualities of a stubborn fool. The way a fool seems right to them, but the, listen, the wise listen to advice. We might think that this is, is a, you know, this problem, this search for truth is something that we're only now facing in culture. But let me tell you, this problem has been around for a long time, thousands of years. So I want to read us a passage from the book of John where the truth was up for grabs. At this point, Jesus had already been arrested and Jews wanted you know, Jesus dead. The reason they wanted him dead was because he was really rubbing up against a lot of things that they stood for. He was doing things against the traditional laws and made them extremely uncomfortable and he was claiming to be the son of God. So the Jews and, and the Jewish elite, they didn't want him um, around anymore, and they, they wanted him arrested, but they really ultimately wanted him to be crucified, to be humiliated. So they brought him to the Romans, who were their overseers so they could crucify Jesus. So, okay, long story short, Jesus is taken to the Roman governor, Pilate, the one who decides if he's guilty and deserving of death. Pilate is trying to figure out, you know, Jesus, like, why are you here? What did you do to make these people so upset? You must have done something wrong, so like, talk to me. What's going on? And so here's the conversation that Pilate has with Jesus in John 18. Your own people, this is Pilate speaking, and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? So Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So Pilate's like, oh, you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so Pilate asks the question, oh, what is truth? Ah, there it is. Thousands of years ago. What is truth? Pilate's like, I'm confused. Jesus, they're telling me you're crazy but you're talking to me about your kingdoms out of this world and you're of the truth? That doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? And so continuing this conversation, with this, he went out, Pilate, to the Jews again, they gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate already knows what is true. Jesus is not guilty. And then he says this, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, this crowd, the Jews, no, not him, give us Barabbas. And Barabbas, who's Barabbas? He's a thief, he's a murderer, he was ruining the city. But that's who they wanted anyway. And when I look at that, I read that story, I think, why in the world would they choose Barabbas, someone who was literally going to destroy the city? So let's think about it from the crowd's perspective. What I see from this story is that there are two ways the crowds are acting like fools. Two ways that they're being duped. 
They're going the wrong way. They're living their own truth. And it's easy for us to look at that crowd and go, look at these guys. You fools! But I think that we are susceptible too. The first way the crowd is living by their own truth is the majority rules. The majority rules. Whatever the majority says is true, well, that must be true. Yeah, you're right. Vanilla ice cream is better. A roaring crowd, if you've ever been to like a, a, a stadium or an event or a concert or something like that where there is a roaring crowd, that's a powerful influence. For instance, when I was in college, I went to a Phillies game. I, I know. A Phillies game with my, with my teammates and friends. I went to school pretty close to Philadelphia, so that was the closest ballpark. But I'm a Yankees fan going to a Phillies game. And so we were having a good time, and, and you know, I did not wear a Yankees hat. Don't do that. Um, and, but my best friend, you know, he was cheering. He's a diehard Phillies fan. And at one point, I found myself cheering for the Phillies. Right? And then like, they hit a home run to win the game, and my buddy stands up, and I'm like, yeah! And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm a Yankees fan. Why in the world? Like, the stadium was just roaring. The power of a crowd, even if you're opposed, you can find yourself just going along with it. Why did Pilate allow the Jews to sway him? Pilate knew that Jesus wasn't guilty. The crowd, the majority said, give us Barabbas. So Pilate does. You know, just for kicks, I did a word study this week, and I found it interesting and ironic that the name Barabbas, okay, that word, that name, Barabbas, closely translates to son of the father. Bar Abba, son of the father. And as the crowd, the majority, rejects Jesus, the son of the father, they claim Barabbas, the son of the father. Even the name was deceiving them. Ah, Mike, that's just a biblical thing. Those are just biblical times. It's, no, it's, not, it's not applicable anymore. Well, I'm not the only one who sees the power of a majority. In his best-selling book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, I found this interesting. Like, let's think of this from a psychologist standpoint. Robert Cialdini writes, whether the question is what to do with an empty popcorn box in a movie theater, how fast to drive on a certain stretch of highway, or how to eat the chicken at a dinner party, the actions of those around us will be important in defining the answer. Social proof is a shortcut to decide how to act. In other words, everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay. Like when you're speeding on the highway. No, not you. Uh, that, you never do that. Um, yeah, but I'm in the middle lane. That, those people are going faster, right? Cialdini goes on to use the example of how advertisers, they only need to inform us that a product is fast-growing or best-selling. They don't have to persuade you that a product is good. They just have to persuade you that everybody else thinks so. Just like when I was hiking with Olivia, there's other people going that way. So I must be right. We have a tendency that just lets the majority rule. 
Whatever the newest trend is on Instagram, it's true. Whatever the most popular channel on YouTube says, that YouTuber, true. My news channel, true. What my group of friends say, true. Doesn't matter if we're unsure, doesn't matter if it contradicts the scriptures. If everyone else is saying it's true, it must be true. And if, friends, if you don't have a solid foundation of the truth, then your truth will form to what everyone else is thinking. If we're not careful, then this way of thinking that the majority rules, man, we might be the fool. I, I was definitely the fool. On the path of going the wrong way, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Paul warns of this in 2 Timothy. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Sounds relative to me. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Hmm. Okay, the first way was majority rules. The second way to tell if you're being duped, this one's more personal. You ready? My comfort rules. I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to allow my comfort to dictate my life. You know, one of the most uncomfortable things to realize, admitting you're wrong. We don't want to do that. There's nowhere close to being comfortable in that moment. Pastor John exposed that in me last week. Go ask someone you know who directly opposes your idea on something and you really feel strongly about. Go have a conversation with someone on the other side of the political aisle. Get to know them as a person. Do it without trying to win and just listen. How comfortable does that make you feel right now? You're going, oh, I'm not doing that. Uh. Yeah, you're already sitting there uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. There is something in us that shies away from doing that. Why? Because that would be an uncomfortable thing to do. All right, let's make it more personal. Here we go. If you're married, go admit to your spouse that you were wrong and they were right. Let those words flow out of your mouth. Try it. It's hard to do. I've been there. Why do I have a hard time saying I'm wrong? Why is that so uncomfortable? Wouldn't it be good for me to do, though, to honor my wife and say, hey, hon, I was wrong. You were right. We should have turned back. Even though I know it'll be good for my marriage, I still resist that. It's a good habit to build for my daughter to see and hear that I'm apologizing to her mom. All right, if you're not married, I know that everyone's not married. If you're not married, same idea can apply to you. Go admit to your friend that you were wrong. Apologize. Students, if there's any students in the room, which I know there are, do what your parents are asking you to do and without grumbling. We can come, I can come up with lots of examples of what's uncomfortable for you, and it's different for all of you. I don't know what it exactly for each of you, but what's uncomfortable? 
We tend not to do that. Why? Because our comfort rules. Back to the crowd choosing Barabbas. Why did they do that? Jesus made them really uncomfortable. They did not want to face what Jesus represented. They didn't want to face that maybe they thought about God in the wrong way. Maybe what they were believing as truth was not in fact true. They wanted to comfortably stay the same. Don't mess with my traditions. Why? Well, again, I, this is not just an ancient problem. Recently, James Killian, the primary therapist of Arcadian counseling, wrote this about comfort. Most of us simply just avoid discomfort. Yep. Physical, mental, emotional. Of course, this is only natural because our brains are hardwired to go in the opposite direction of pain, regardless of the type. I agree. So he, here's, here's the problem. Your truth, like my truth, is always going to seek what is most comfortable to you in the moment. Always. If you're living by your truth, you're living quite the comfortable life. It's great. But if your truth is based upon what feels comfortable, then we'll end up walking the path that in the end will not be beneficial to you. The crowd would rather have Barabbas, the one who will destroy the city. That's comfortable. But we make decisions all the time based on what's comfortable in the moment versus what's best for us in the long run. We know it's probably not a good idea to go out with all our friends and go drinking and party, but it's more socially comfortable in the moment to just go and deal with the consequences later. It's more comfortable to go on the internet and numb yourself from a long day, even though you know that's not going to help. It's more comfortable to avoid that person and don't address the conflict, ignore, avoid. Or, for some of us, it's more comfortable to address the, conf the, the conflict head on. And who cares if their feelings are hurt? It's more comfortable to say, I'm fine, when you're not. It's more comfortable to not talk about Jesus with your friends or your neighbors. If we don't have a basis of truth that is outside our personal feelings or comfort, it will always choose what's most comfortable. Even when we read scriptures, sometimes we can think, yeah, that might be good. That just sounds outdated. I know what's best for my life. I know what decisions I want to make. Who cares what anyone else says? Who cares what the scripture says? I know what's best for me. Oh, the fool. The way of the fool seems right to them. Can I, can I submit this thought to you? Oh, <laughs> you're like, uh-oh. What we should be saying is, even though this feels good, even though it looks good, when I compare it to what scripture says, which first we have to know what scripture says. But when I compare it to what scripture says, I'm going to surrender what I think and what is comfortable to me. And in humility, be able to say, God, you're a better God than me. God, you know better than me. Your truth, Lord, is better than my truth. Pastor John was teasing it last week. You know, can we say, I might be wrong? It might just feel good because it's what culture has told me feels good. It might just feel good because I've gotten so used to it. 
You know, fools aren't able to admit that. So here's the thing. Your truth is not really all that concerned with what makes sense, which is an interesting sentence. Your truth, your truth, not interested in, in what makes sense. Not concerned with what's better for you. Your truth is always going to seek what's most comfortable in the moment. Your truth is always going to feed your pleasure. Your truth is going to follow your feelings. Your truth is going to be what makes you comfortable. And the Proverbs, the ancient answer, points us that following your truth is what fools do. And the Proverbs also point out that there is another path. There is another way. We don't have to continue being fools or continue being duped. We don't have to keep living by your own truth. There is a difference between my truth and the truth. Your truth is not the truth. Your truth allows you to stay the same. The, get this, the truth requires you to change. The truth requires us to repent, to change the way we think, change the way we're going, to turn away from sin, and to follow Jesus. And we don't want to do that sometimes. We want to live our own truth. But what if our truth, my truth, leads me to sin? Well, I'm not hurting anybody. And it feels like it's okay. But wait a minute. Sin often feels good until the wages of sin are paid. Death. Sin is going to feel good in the moment. When it feels comfortable or when everyone else is doing it, it'll feel good until the wages of sin are paid, death. There's a path that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. So maybe Jesus is gently inviting you today to be a student of your heart. Maybe there's something that needs to change in us, in me. And change can be uncomfortable and sometimes unpopular and counter to the majority. It takes a certain level of humility that we're going the wrong way to admit that. And then a lot of courage to change directions. Like it or not, following Jesus might require our hearts to change. If you're just living and going off your comfort, you might be living your truth but not the truth. Sometime before Jesus was arrested, he sat his disciples down and had a conversation with them. And it went like this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And, this is the best part, the truth will set you free. Not my comfort, not the majority sets me free. The truth, the truth and at the time, the disciples thought, yeah, the truth is, Jesus, that you're going to help us overthrow the Romans. Come on. And then we'll be free from their, you know, overseeing us. We're tired of that. They were half right. Jesus was talking about himself, but not in the way that they were thinking. Jesus wasn't talking about an opinion, a feeling, or a political power. He was talking about setting their hearts free. So as the band comes up, I just want to end with this. Jesus wasn't talking about following your truth. 
or following your feelings. I know I'm repetitive, but I want you to get it. Jesus not talking about following majority or following your comfort. He was talking about himself. He was talking about through him is the, you just, sometimes we need to be reminded. Through him is the forgiveness of all sin. And that was the truest form of freedom. That's the wisest path that I can offer you to take. Why would we choose Barabbas when we could have Jesus? I'll close with this proverb. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. And so I close with this question to you today. Spend the rest of the summer answering it if you need to. Are you going the right way? How do you know? Just living your truth, isn't it? Don't be duped. Your truth is not the truth. The truth is a person. It's not an idea. It's not an opinion or feeling. It's Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. We'd be wise to follow that. Amen. Let's stand close.